Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Graham, and uh, this morning we are tackling gospel-centered husbands. Um, the American comedian Rita Rudner said this, I love being married. It is so great to find that one special person that you want to annoy for the rest of your life. Now, there might be a few wives there that feel that this is their husband's calling in your life, to annoy you, right? It is their special gift that they have. But that is not the definition of a husband. The definition of a husband is this, to engage or act. To engage or act as a husband is to assume the care of, the responsibility for, and to accept as one's own. Gentlemen, that is easy, right? Yeah, okay, a lot of laughing. That's easy, right? Um, I don't know if, if you've ever had that experience of where you've joined a conversation and you feel totally out of your depth, right? Like you just feel unqualified to be part of the conversation. Um, in our office, we have a young guy who looks after our media, a guy by the name of Josh Blisky. And he has an older brother at Cedar who does something similar. Now, when they get together, I often walk past and I try and join in the conversation. And they're talking about all this IT stuff, which I have no idea what they're talking about. It's, it's like it could all be Greek to me. And I try to fit in. You know, I try to use words like bites and bits. And I really have no idea what I'm talking about. And if I'm honest, I feel a little bit like that today. Right? I feel that I should be sitting in the pew and someone should be preaching this message to me because I need to hear it. I know that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it does cut and it does discern the attitudes and thoughts of my heart. And I need that, right? I need that. Um, so last week, we began the series called Gospel-Centered Relationships and how the gospel affects our relationships. And we looked at that of singleness, right? A really great and encouraging message of the blessings of being single, but also some of the challenges that come with it. And now we're looking at being a husband. Uh, so first of all, if you're a husband, can you put your hands up? I want to see whom I'm talking to. All right, that's good. Hands up if you have a husband. All right, ladies, I want to warn you, reserve, reserve the, the itch to want to use an elbow or two today, right? This is an encouraging sermon for your husbands. Um, but being a husband is, it's difficult. It is difficult. It is a beautiful thing. It is a God-given thing. But the truth is we fail as husbands, and that's, that's hard. But thank God for his gospel, because his gospel speaks exactly to that. So, what does it mean to be a gospel-centered husband? Now, that phrase, gospel-centered, it gets thrown around a lot today, and unfortunately, it can lose its meaning and effect a little bit. You see, because the heart of the gospel is about relationships. It is about restoring broken and fractured relationships. The most important relationship that was lost was between us and God, the creator of the universe, God Almighty and man. There was this separation that happened. And because God is, is holy, He is pure, the thing that separates us from Him is sin. 
It's all this gross stuff and bad stuff that we think and do, and God can't have any part of that. But God wasn't passive. He dealt with it. He sent Jesus. Jesus came. He lived this life that showed us what it's like to be human. And he, he was always righteous in what he did and thought and acted. And then at the end of his life, he went to the cross and he took all our junk, all our sin, all our gross stuff onto himself. And he paid the price for our sin. That now we are righteous. We take his righteousness. Therefore, nothing can now separate us from God. And we have this relationship with him. But you see, the gospel doesn't only mend this vertical relationship between us and God. It also affects our relationship with one another. So the question is, how does the gospel change the way we conduct ourselves as husbands? You see, I used to think that the gospel was what you started the Christian life on, right? You believe that Jesus really was the Son of God, that he died for you, and then you moved on to maturity. But I have learned that moving on in maturity actually means constantly having this renewed understanding of the glories of the gospel and then, and then living that out. And primarily, we live that out in our relationships. You see, the gospel is not static. It doesn't just stand still. It is always active. It is always moving, and it is always challenging. Um, one of the things that frustrates me, it's like my pet pony. You know, people have pet ponies. My pet pony is when they say, Christians are narrow-minded. Have you ever heard that said? I think that's total rubbish, right? We have to be one of the most open-minded people in the world. Think about it. Sunday after Sunday, we gather and we're constantly having our minds renewed and challenged. We are constantly saying, Lord, change me to a new way of being human, a new way of relating to people. You have to be incredibly open-minded to walk that road. You're allowed to say amen if you agree amen. with me. That is true, right? We are constantly open to the Lord, right? And how does he change us? You see, the, the gospel-centered husband isn't a husband that is anti-gospel or ungospel. He's simply just standing still. It's the comfortable husband, right? He's passive. He's passive. Gets home and he just watches TV. He doesn't really engage with the family. He doesn't pursue his wife. He doesn't try to grow. He's really just the El Bundy of husbands. Now, does anyone know who El Bundy is? There's Four of us who are over the age of 40 who said yes to that question, right? For honest people, everyone else. So I don't know about you, but in my household, when we were growing up, we watched this terrible show. I wouldn't recommend it, but it was called Married with Children. Um, and Al Bundy was the dad, right? Now, the media loves to portray husbands and dads particularly as real goofballs. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's kind of like the kids are always cleverer than dad. The wife always rescues him from his stupidity. But Al Bundy was kind of like the first one of these dads, right, that was displayed. And you see, Al's biggest problem was that he was just comfortable. He was just passive. 
And the gospel is not like that. The gospel is always dynamic. It is always molding us. It is always shaping us. And it is always challenging us. So here we go. Husbands, we're going to be challenged by God's word today. And like I said, this challenges me. Challenges me as a husband. But let's look. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 25 to 33. But if you look at verse 25, it calls husbands to be sacrificial. This is what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Husbands, that's us gentlemen. If in case you're confused, he's talking to us. And he gives us a simple command. Love your wives. And then he goes a step further and he tells us exactly how we are to love our wives. As Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love his church? He laid his life down for her. He gave himself up for her. Guys, Jesus literally served us by laying down his life. And he did it not when we were very lovable, not when we were awesome people. No, he did it when we were actually at our worst. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, husbands, let's look at ourselves. Graham Smith, let's look at yourself. When should we lay down our lives for our wives? Is it only when they're worth it? Is it only when they're nice to us? No, no, no. right. Right there the passage tells us, no, you will lay down your life. Even when she's not very nice. You see, Jesus put our needs first. He put our needs first and he did something about it. He wasn't, he wasn't passive. God the Father and Jesus, God the Son, didn't look down. And they looked down at the mess we created. And they didn't just fold their arms and go, oh man, how could they? They really, really messed that up, didn't they? Well, we'll just leave it to them to sort it out. No, he did something. He was active and he said, I'll take responsibility. I'll go. I'll pay for their sins. You see, being sacrificial means taking responsibility. Right? Jesus demonstrated time and time again this kind of leadership to people. He would be, you read it through all through the Gospels. Jesus is walking and he's tired and he's hungry. And he has this opportunity just to serve himself. And then he sees the people and he has compassion on them. And he puts aside himself and he serves others. Why did Jesus do this? Why did he do all that? Because Jesus saw you and he saw me and he said, you are worth it. You are worth it. You are worth the sacrifice. You see, culture is not so keen on sacrifice. It really isn't, right? Maybe a little, but not too much. Uh, to prove this, we turn to one of the great theologians of our modern era, uh, Madonna. And uh, so I know Madonna is, is not a husband, but this was her comment on marriage. 
She said this, when you start off, everything's great and lovely, and the person you're married is flawless, and you're flawless. Well, that's not true. You're just putting your best foot forward. Madonna told Newsweek in January 2012, then time goes by, and you share a life, you have children, and there are cracks in the veneer. There were always cracks in the veneer. You just didn't see them. It's not as romantic as it used to be. You think, this isn't what I thought it was going to be, and how much am I willing to sacrifice? I wonder how Jesus would answer Madonna. I wonder how he would say to her, right? Really, the question you are asking is the wrong question. It is not how much am I willing to sacrifice for this? The question should be, show me where I need to sacrifice. That is the question. Show me where I need to sacrifice. Husbands, we're called, right? Whether you like it or not, you are called to be the spiritual leader and protector in your home. Now, it will mean that you make choices. And sometimes the choice that we make will have a sacrifice. Maybe for some of us, that means that we will choose to spend less time at work. Maybe it means missing out on that promotion because we're committed to our families first. Now, some of you might be thinking, amen, I love that idea. Let's spend less time at work. That's great. But hear this. Gentlemen, that also means that we actively have to decide to spend less time on ourselves on our hobbies, on the things that we love. Because number one, we are called to take responsibility. And we lay down our lives. You see, we choose. That's what sacrificial means, right? We lay down the things we love, the comforts that we have to love and serve our children and our wives first. Number two. A gospel-centered husband is steadfast, right? He's in it for the long haul. This is what verse 26 and 27 says. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, to sanctify means to make pure, to make beautiful, right? In, in this sense, it means to change us so that we look less and less like sin and more and more like Jesus. Now, it is Jesus who sanctifies us, right? He brings these things into our lives. He allows circumstances to come into our lives, and he allows people to be in our lives to bring about that sanctification, right? And that includes our wives and children. Now, how long do you think it takes to sanctify someone, to make them holy without spot or blemish? How long? A lifetime, right? This isn't like a one week and it's over. It is a lifetime or at least a very, very, very long time. You see, a gospel-centered husband 
will love not only sacrificially, but he will also demonstrate steadfast love. He is there in the good times. He is there in the bad times. He is there in sickness. He is there in health. He is there when there are riches. He he is there when there is poverty. Now, the problem is we live in a culture that views love as something like your personal happiness program, right? Now, I want you to hear me. It is not wrong to be happy, and it is not wrong to pursue happiness, and it's not wrong to want a happy marriage. The problem is, if that is your goal, if that's what you aim at and what what your love is to you, soon as your personal uh, personal happiness program is not met and it's pretty low, what do you do? You will look for something or someone else to make you happy. You know, the world will say to us, as, as you know, as long as you're happy, that's the most important thing. I just want you to be happy. And if you don't make each other happy, well, you know, that's, just move on. Find someone that will make you, you happy. Husbands, if we are operating on this personal happiness program, I want to tell you that that goal is just way, way, way too small. See, God is working on something much, much deeper. It is far more necessary in your life, and it has far more eternal value. You see, and if God wasn't working on that, he would be unfaithful to his promises to you, because that is one of his promises to you. God does not have a personal happiness program for you, but he does have a personal holiness program. And God is working. He's working today through the circumstances you face for the people that you rub up against to change you and mold you. Guys, and this is really hard for us to admit, but there is is still sin inside of us. It's the sin that gets in the way of what you're meant to be as a husband and what you're designed to do as a husband and in this world. See, God God has no problem. He has no problem with interrupting your personal happiness right now. He has no problem in allowing difficulties to come into your life if it means that he transforms you, right? That he rescues you from you and he makes you look more like Jesus. A husband who is steadfast will bring the best out in his wife. Right, because he constantly, he's constantly showing her what Jesus is like and he's pointing her to Jesus. It's a husband who's focused on God's work in his life, not his own personal happiness. And as he's being sanctified and changed and molded, he's helping her grow in her relationship with God, in her sanctification. We're going to quote another great theologian. We're doing our rounds of great theologians today. The second one we're looking at is Ray from Everybody Loves Raymond. This is what he said. I've got an amen there, so he must be a great theologian. This is what Ray said about marriage. He goes, look, you want to know what marriage is really like? Fine. You wake up, she's there. You come back from work, she's there. You fall asleep, she's there. You eat dinner, she's there. You know, 
I mean, I know that sounds like a bad thing, but it's not. Gentlemen, it's not, right? For a wife, that is a beautiful thing. It is a steadfast thing. You are showing her you love her in a steadfast way. She wakes up, you are there. She eats dinner, you are there. She's in a moment of pain, you are there. That is a beautiful thing. You know, a wife that knows her husband loves her with a steadfast love. She has this, this confidence and security about her. Guys, and, it's, and it's, it's actually very much like we do in, we have in Christ. Right, we know that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's, that, that's a great comfort to us. And here's a quote from the, the Jesus Storybook Bible. It sums up God's love for us, and I love it. Listen to this. He loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And that is a steadfast love. It is a steadfast love. Number three, a gospel-centered husband nourishes and cherishes. Verse 28 and 29 says this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands, how many of you had breakfast this morning? Can I see? Yeah, or a good feed last night. Why did you do that? seem to not know. You, know, you did that because you were, you were hungry and your body tells me, feed me, right? Nourish me. I need the nourishment and I need the energy. So you know what you did? You listened to your body and you gave it some, right? You had a need and you met it. Because the same way a gospel-centered husband will actively seek to nourish and cherish his wife. Do you know you have those days where you, maybe you're out, you're doing a lot of manual work, it's, it's hard, or you've been out playing like a hard game of sport, doing something, and you come in and you're, you're really tired and hungry, so hungry that you're hangry. Have you ever heard that? You're like hungry that you're, you're angry. And you feed yourself, right? How do you feel afterwards? You give yourself a good feel. How do you feel afterwards? Man, you feel refreshed, you feel energized, let's go again, let's do it. You now have the energy and your body has the nourishment it needs to be productive and to thrive. Guys, the same way, the same way, when we see our wives, when they're tired, maybe they're physically tired or emotionally tired or spiritually tired, do we move to nourish them? There is no way we would get home and we're hungry and we're saying, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it. No, we would go straight to the fridge. Gentlemen, let's be honest. Straight to the fridge and feed ourselves. And yet sometimes we are so slow. We are so slow to see our wives and move to nourish them. Right? Do we nourish them with God's word, this precious thing that we have to give them? Do we take the initiative as leaders in our home and do we open God's word? Do we read it? Do we encourage them with it? Do we 
pray for them? Do we pray with them? Right? Guys, are we pursuing our wives in such a way that you notice, you notice when they need nourishment and you move to, to, to meet that need? And sacrificially, you go to and say, what can I do to help? How can I serve you? A gospel-centered husband will cherish his wife. Now, cherish means to, to like really, really take care of something. It's to make it feel special. Um, Jason Crinian and myself both have plants in our offices, right? If you go into my office, you will see my plants, and they are alive. I nourish them. I do what is necessary, right? They, I water them. I see when they're wilting a little bit, and I water them, and they are growing. I just nourish them. But then if you walk and you go into Jason's office, you will see that Jason not only nourishes his plants, he cherishes them. He, cher- he goes that little bit extra. I don't know what he does, but his plants are, are thriving. They are flourishing. He moves them towards the sunlight. He puts them in the sink for extra water. I'm convinced he sings to them because something is happening to those plants. But he cherishes them. You know, gentlemen, one very sad thing is that I've met many husbands who cherish their sheds, who cherish their cars, who cherish their golf clubs more than they do their wives. A gospel-centered husband will cherish his wife. He will make her feel so special. Number four, The gospel-centered husband has a we attitude. Verse 31 says this. Now, he's going back, and, and Paul's quoting Genesis here. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, one flesh. You know, the word there for hold fast literally means be glued together as if they are no longer two. They are now one. They are now one. And and you notice a gospel-centered husband, he talks far more about we and our. He uses the words me and mine far less. You see, one thing that happened in the fall was to turn marriage from a covenant into a contract. And where we view marriage as a contract, the idea is, well, I agree to do my part, and you've got to agree to do your part. You know what? And if you don't do your part, you don't fulfill the part that you agree to, well, then there are some penalties in line for you. That is contract thinking. And, you know, if you look at a contract, everyone's looking out to get a great deal on a contract. You're looking out to get the best deal on a contract. You know, if you you speak to most people who get a a mobile plan or whatever, and they say, oh, I got a great deal. I got a great deal on the contract. What do they usually mean? They mean that they, they got the most by paying the least, right? The most that they wanted for the least amount of time or money. 
And when we view marriage like that, it is a sad, sad thing. Al Bundy said it, right? Let's go back to Al Bundy. Um, And he said it like this. He said, marriage is like insurance. You pay and pay and pay, but you never get anything back. Now, we might laugh at that, right? But that's not the truth. That is looking at marriage like it is a, it's a contract. You see, the worst thing about viewing marriage as a contract is that it makes you two. Because in every contract, you have at least two parties. But in a covenant, you become one. 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 You are no longer two. You are one. one. You see... A gospel-centered husband, he will look at his life, he will look at the way he looks at his family, and he will go, how does this decision, how does this action show my wife that we are one? How does this promote oneness in our family? And number five, a gospel-centered husband is grace-filled. Verse 32 and 33 says this. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, the the one word that, that separates the gospel from everything else, the one word that separates Christianity from every other belief system is this word, Grace, grace, grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. And we know the only way we understand grace is we look at Christ and we understand the grace that he's extended me. Oh my goodness, I don't get what I deserve. I get this unmerited favor in my life. Now I'm so mindful of that. Now I can give grace to others. It is like electricity. It flows through you. If you cannot receive grace, but pass it on. You see, husbands, we we extend grace both to our wives, but also to ourselves. You see, a a gospel-centered husband is really, it's nothing more than someone who's just reflecting what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, right? And I know, I know that God showed his grace to me when I was at my worst. I was still a sinner and he died for me, right? The type of husband that he is, he's characterized by grace. This isn't a husband who's an authoritarian and a dictator demanding stuff. No, it is, he's he's a servant leader, but he is a gentle warrior, He is a gentle warrior, and he's the kind of guy who will go and say, Lord Jesus, by your power, by the Holy Spirit, help me. Help me resist that temptation every time to judge, to put down, to correct all the time. Guys, when she's driving you nuts, and it's like that kind of thing, grace teaches us to say, No, no to ungodliness. I'm not going to respond in an ungodly way. I'm going to give her grace. You know, when 
when a husband gives grace to his wife, he's showing her what Jesus is like. He's showing her like this is what the beauty of Jesus is. And he demonstrates that grace. But a gospel-centered husband will also be one that practices grace for himself. Guys, if you're trying to be a good husband on your own, on your own terms, and without embracing grace, man, it will crush you. It will crush you. And it will lead you to passivity. But when you have grace for yourself and you understand God's grace to you, it allows you to forgive, to receive his forgiveness, but you don't stay down. You get up and you love again. See, a gospel-centered husband really understands that God has accepted him, not because of what he did, but because of what Jesus has done. And he just models this to his wife. Um, there was a, a couple, husband and wife, and they were really going through a bit of a, a rough patch. And they were constantly, constantly getting into fights and having a go at each other. And one day it was particularly bad. And they're standing in the kitchen and they're arguing, you're this, no, you're this, you always, no, you never. And it's going on like this. And eventually the wife says, well, I'm going to write a list about everything that you do that's bad and wrong. And the husband says, well, I'm going to write a list too. And they go, fine, fine. And out comes the paper. And they both sort of sit down opposite sides of the table in the kitchen. And they both start writing. And the wife's going at it furiously. And she looks up. And her husband is still writing, head down. And he's just writing. And she goes, no, well, can't be. He can't have more stuff to say than I do. He's far worse than me. So she sits down. And she starts thinking, what else can I say? And she writes some more. And she looks up. And he's still writing furiously. He hasn't even looked up. And he's just going and going and going. And she tries again. There must be more. And she writes down some more. Eventually, she looks up. And his head is still down. And he's still writing. And she gets so frustrated. She leans over. And she rips the piece of paper from him. And then she reads this. Number one. I love you. Number two, I love you. Number three, I love you. Number four, I love you. Number five, I love you. Number six, I love you. Number seven, I love you. Number eight, I love you. You guys get the point, right? Some of you are thinking, please don't let him go to 100, <laughs> right? But how powerful is that? Husbands, love your wife. For love covers a multitude of sins. Husbands, love your wives. Guys, I wish I could stand up in front of you and give you some, something incredibly profound. But the truth is, all we have to do is look to Jesus. Right? He's done all this. Jesus showed us what real manhood looks like. Right? If you want to find out someone who's truly sacrificial... Who do you look to? Yeah. Right? If you want to find out someone who was steadfast in his love towards us, who do you look at? Jesus. Right? And if you want to look to the one who nourishes and cherishes you, who do you look to? Jesus. Right. There's only one person here today that's Pastor Timon, right? Getting that answer. The answer is? Jesus. Yes. He's called us to be one with him. He is the one that has grace for us and modeled grace. Amen. 
You know, there might be some husbands here today and go, well, you know what, that's, that's great. It's, it's really nice, but you don't know my wife, <laughs> right? I try, but, you know, she just, she doesn't respond the way I want, and I try again, and it's always about her. Well, let me ask you this. What about Jesus' wife, right? Us, guys, the bride of Christ. If you think you've got a difficult or unresponsive wife, what about the bride of Christ? Have we been throughout the ages? Have we always been the most lovable bride? Have we always been the most responsive bride? Have we often thrown his grace back in his face? And yet, what does he do? He still pursues. He still loves. He doesn't give up on his church. He lays down his life for his church. Husbands, what, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm speaking to myself here. I think the first thing is just to acknowledge, Lord, I, I need help. I need your grace to be a gospel-centered husband. Guys, maybe some of us need to repent for being passive husbands. I've, I've met many men who are so passionate and active about their careers and their hobbies and the sports that they follow. And then at home, they are just passive. You know, there is grace and forgiveness for that. But Jesus loves us way too much to leave us there. He has way too much for us to just leave us there. Maybe one thing we can do is just to stop and say, Lord, just examine me. Maybe those five things that we've heard today. Lord, which one, which one do you want me to respond to? Where do I need to grow? Where do I need your grace to help me grow? Um, I used to be in Hong Kong, and the church we were part of there, uh, the senior pastor was this big Texan guy, huge, tall guy by the name of Tobin. And Tobin, his wife's name was Christina. He would take Christina out on a date night, and he would say to her, how am I doing as a husband, right? And then how am I doing as a father? But that, gentlemen, that's a brave question to ask, right? How about we do that this week? Go to your wife, ask her, honey, how am I doing as a husband? And resist that temptation to be defensive. Oh, well, it's because of this. It's because of that. No, just resist that temptation. Resist the temptation to go, well, if you think that's true of me, you should. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just listen to her and say, thank you, honey. By God's grace, I want to change in that area. I want to grow in that area where you think I need to grow. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. Guys, all this is impossible, impossible if we take our eyes off Jesus. If we try and do this in our own strength or we try and do it a different way, it's not going to work. We need the King of Kings. We need the author and perfecter of our faith. And you know what? He is faithful. He's so faithful. 
Pastor Timon, I'd like to invite you up. Thank you, brother. Well, you know, as we come to the end of our service, what we've talked about today with religious freedom and also gospel-centered relationships are really related to one another. And they are related like this, is that we can speak the truth of what we believe that the Bible teaches, but if we aren't living out the truth, then people won't want the truth. We actually, as men, need to have a look at ourselves and draw a line in the sand and say, yes, Lord Jesus, we want to be the types of husbands and fathers that you call us to be. So what I want to invite this morning, I want to invite all of the husbands that are here this morning to come out the front and join me on the altar of our church this morning. All of the husbands or prospective husbands, come out the front right now. Get up out of your seat and come out the front and join me at the front here this morning. You see, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, I desire then in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I desire that men should pray. You see, if we want to see things turned around in our society, it starts in the church. It starts with us as men in our families, in this church, standing up and being counted for Jesus. You see, the spiritual temperature of a church is always determined by the spiritual temperature of its men, I believe, because men are the heads of their homes. Men are, men, are, men are called to be the heads of their homes. Men are called by the Scriptures to live holy hands in prayer. And so as a church, if we want to see God move, then we as men need to say no more. No more. No more pornography. No more immorality. That's not going to be in my life. I'm going to avoid sexual immorality as the Bible says. We're going to lead our families. We're going to lead our wives. We're going to make our, make, our, make our families places where we are going to pray, where we're going to set the spiritual temperature. We're going to set the spiritual temperature in our, church, in our, in our family. And this will overflow into our church. This will overflow into the church family here. And it will actually overflow into our society. People will see the beauty of our marriages and say, that's what I want. Yes, that is true. That's what I want. That's true. So it starts with us men here. Why don't we, why don't we you know, I know we're living in COVID world now, but if you feel comfortable, why don't you do what these guys are doing with people around you? Just, you know, lock, lock shoulders, you know. As men, come on. We're in it together. We're in it together. And this is not to be sexist ladies or anything like that. Why don't all the men come out? Come on, all the men, single guys as well. Come on, come out, single guys, come on. We don't leave you alone. Come on, come out. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to actually work in our lives. Women, why don't you stand up? Why don't you stand up? This is not a sexist thing. We, we, we believe in you and we appreciate you. We appreciate all that women bring to our church family. But there is a special place in the Bible for men to lead like Jesus. To not be like the first Adam, this passive man who stood by while Satan tempted his wife. We want to be active men like the Lord Jesus and active in love. He laid down his life for his church. That's, who I, that's what I want to be. An active man laying down my life for my wife. Why don't you stretch out your hand, women, towards the men of this church? Come on. We're going to pray for God. We're going to pray for God to work. We're going to pray for God to work. Steve, Steve, why don't you come up and pray for us? Pray for us. Amen.
Our Father, we're here before you, uh, open before you. You know our hearts. There's nothing we can hide from you, and we really don't want to. We want you to see us for who we are, and we want you knowing the worst about us and knowing the best that's possible for us. We want you to actively be at work in our hearts. We want you to accept our confession, Father, that we fail regularly, chronically, daily to live up to our calling as husbands and as men of God. And we thank you that we can say that to you, knowing and trusting that you forgive us for that. Amen. And that you forgive us forgiveness because it comes from your heart of love for us. It covers all of those sins. Father, we hand them back to you and we do pray. And we make this commitment to you together as men of this church, particularly as husbands of this church, that we will look to you and we will look to the Lord Jesus to be our model. And when we fail, Father, we pray that you would lift us up and you would speak to us in grace and tell us to keep going and not to give up. We pray that we would be the men that our wives deserve, that our families can look up to, that the world can trust. And we do pray, as we've been challenged, that the world would look upon us and they would see the face of God in the life of this church and especially its men. Bless us, Father, because we can't do this apart from your blessing and your grace. And we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So before we go back to our seats, I just want to say amen. Like, if anything is God has spoken, I love the way you prayed. You're so gospel-centered, and that's what we want to be about. There needs to be things that are brought out of our lives in order to deal with. Do it in your community groups. Do it with the other men. Come see us as pastors and we'll talk, talk you through that. You know, There is grace, there's forgiveness and we can move forward as a church, bring glory to God and joy to our city.